there's non-gaming stakeholders here, broadcasters, professional sports leagues that are part of this ecosystem now, and they've had a, a probably a steeper learning curve in some respects. Everybody's wanting to, to come and be a part of a, a consultation, a conversation. I think we just now, we have an idea of where the issues are that the AGCO is concerned about, but I think we need to make sure that we're making decisions based on evidence that uh, will ensure a sustainable industry going forward that will you know, continue to offer a high level of consumer protection. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show, presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. It is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. As always, we're going to cover a lot of turf over the next hour with the help of Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, Amanda Brewer, the Canadian country manager for Kindred Group, Chris Abbott, the Canadian country manager for Botano, Mark Silver from Homestand Sports is going to join us later in the hour. And at 2.30, uh, we will have Woodbine Entertainment CEO Jim Lawson coming on the show as well. But we want to start with Paul Burns uh, from the Canadian Gaming Association. Paul, we uh, we led this morning's newsletter with the conversation that you and I had yesterday about the uh, consultative process between stakeholders in Ontario's sports betting and gaming industry and, and the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario around advertising standards. And there is a little bit of breaking news and that the AGCO has pushed back the deadline for soliciting feedback from the industry. Thanks for having me, Steve. I understand that that is, in fact, that there will be more time given uh, those who uh, are preparing responses. And uh, from my indications, I think there'll be very good and robust amount of responses coming their way. Yeah, I think an extra time doesn't hurt at all for allowing everybody to uh, to get their uh, submissions together. So, no, we are actively working on ours uh, in the CGA, and uh, obviously, it's um, it's an important part, but we think this is just the beginning. Uh, there needs to be ongoing consultation through this um, to better understand you know, the public policy issues that, uh, and risks that AGC wants to address, and and how the industry and and, and its stakeholders um, can come together to help you know, achieve what uh, everybody's looking to to achieve from this. So it's, uh, it's I think this is just the beginning um, through this process and, and we look forward to, to actively participate and we think this will probably start the beginning of a, probably a little more um, in-depth conversation in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, we should mention that deadline, according to Amanda, is uh, the new deadline now is May May fifteenth. So there's been a week extension. I I would assume, Paul, that's probably because there has been a high high level of engagement from from not only operators but other um, businesses across the the regulated industry here in Ontario. I think one thing I'd like to get to, Paul, is when you and I were talking yesterday, there was an uproar when the AGCO came out with this announcement two weeks ago, and and, uh, you know, it was almost the, the conversation with you yesterday was kind of lowering the temperature a little bit. And and uh, I think, you know, a lot of your message to me during our interview was that this is this is a way a regulated regulated industry should work. You have a regulator who um, who proposes changes and, and 
and doesn't go ahead and impose those uh, those amendments or those changes until the, there's feedback and conversation with the uh, with the industry. That's right. And I mean, this is the first uh, consultation the AGC has done in an operating environment. They consulted this way pre-opening um, on their standards, and that was great. But now everybody's operating, and there's there's it was sort of the first of time. So it's caused uh, obviously um, a bit of um, uh, concern, obviously, in the operating community. Also, I think there's 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 been a general consensus that the market has been operating very well, and so I think that there, this some didn't were surprised by it. I think it was we knew that it was they were working towards wanting to talk about advertising. Um, they thought long and hard about uh, their advertising restrictions pre-market opening and decided on some that they would wait and see how the market unfolds, and so. We have you know, 13 months of experience to this point in time. I think it's been useful f for many. And I think for um, there's non-gaming stakeholders here that broadcasters, professional sports leagues, et cetera, that uh, have been a part of this ecosystem now and, and uh, may not be, uh, and have had a, a probably a steeper learning curve in some respects um, for this. And, and so everybody's, Everybody's wanting to, to come and be a part of an, uh, a consultation, a conversation. Um, I think we just now, we have an idea of where the issues are that the AGCO is concerned about, but I think we need to um, make sure that we're, we're making decisions based on evidence. We're making decisions that uh, will ensure uh, a sustainable industry going forward that will uh, obviously, in, in you know, continue to offer a high level of consumer protection, and so uh, I think that's where we're coming from on this is a spirit of saying, okay, let's uh, let's have this conversation, but we want to make sure that we're doing it uh, with um, the right evidence, uh, addressing the right issues, because my concern has been is, and I've dealt with it in media interviews, not with you, but with many else, um, trying to draw comparisons to the UK. And I asked people to stop because we're not the UK. Um, their history of betting is decades, if not 100 plus years old. Um, retail bet shops on most high street corners, um, a longer history um, in that betting culture. So when you look at what may influence a demographic in that, well, they grew up differently. They've seen different experiences. Um, sports betting Canada is really has just been really advertised in the last year, even though people could access it through offshore on the books, no one was advertising sports books. Um, so we're starting in a very different place. So let's respect that. Let's understand that. We are starting with very different advertising rules to begin with. In some cases, you know, the advertising is is one of the few privileges you get from being in a regulated marketplace. Uh, I think the operators have done a tremendous job uh, to this point in time, ensuring that their advertising um, is hitting all of the uh, the right tones and, and meeting the regulatory standards, exceeding the regulatory standards in many cases. And, 
And, you know, when I look at the industry came together, thanks to, you know, Think TV and RGC and, and all the operators of putting the Connects 1-800 number on every ad. That isn't a regulatory requirement. That was the industry coming together with broadcasters and finding a solution. Um, so I think there's, there's, those are the kinds of things we want to get into this. I don't want to, just because country A or country B is doing it means we have to do it. Um, because I don't think that's, there's no fair comparisons. We're unique. Our history and experience with gaming is vastly different than other jurisdictions, even many of the U.S. jurisdictions. Um, because we have two operators with us, Paul, I'd, I'd love to get uh, Amanda and, and Chris on this. And maybe, Amanda, I'll, I'll start with you just on, on what Paul's said. Yeah, I agree with Paul. I think, you know, you look at what or how I should say the AGCO has approached pre-market launch. They released a lot of information, including the draft sports betting standards, the draft regulatory standards, uh, and they all went out for consultation to the industry. So the hope is that that will be repeated. And I wholeheartedly agree with what Paul was saying about stop comparing us to other jurisdictions, especially the UK. Um, the challenge with the AGCO's proposed changes, first and foremost, is that um, the problem hasn't been identified. So, you know, if you talk to the broadcasters, if you were at the April 4th event that the CJ organized and you listen to the Rogers and the Bell executives, they have not had a flurry or a tsunami of complaints about the sports betting advertising. So the first question is, you know, we're having a little bit of trouble understanding what new problem has now arisen that the AGCO feels that this is the appropriate response to it. The second thing is um, having launched um, with a group of fellow operators on April 4th of last year, we were among the first to start trying to read between the rather fuzzy gray lines and interpret the inducement language. Uh, we do not feel like doing that again. So our fear is unless there is very specific guidance accompanying some of these changes, um, very prescriptive. I know that is the antithesis of how the AGCO as a whole operates, but there are exceptions when operators will need explicit guidance. Um, it's going to turn either the AGCO or some other, you know, association into a clearinghouse because I can't think of any operator who's going to want to go blindly forward trying to interpret these, uh, these new standards uh, with any certainty. So, to Paul's point, I think the hope is for us that this is the beginning of a, a dialogue, a beginning of a conversation, and certainly one that we'd hope, you know, give the CGA a chance to maybe go out and partner on some Ontario-based research, um, take a look at what the data tells us, and then maybe come back to the table and decide what makes sense in terms of addressing whatever issue we uncover. But it would be very unfortunate if this just gets rushed through in the next few weeks, because I think it's, it's, you know, the, the industry is really having a hard time understanding what, what the issue is. Right. Uh, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I think Paul and Amanda touched on, on most points. Uh, I'll, I'll echo what Paul said about the fact that there is already a robust marketing standard in place. And as a real world example, you know, we have um, at Patano this beautifully done cinematic type, almost as good as uh, or as good as any movie trailer you've ever seen. Um, cost a lot of money to make. Now, it wasn't made specifically for Ontario. We wanted to adapt it. Um, but because it had like a, a James Bond type character, like saving the girl 
um, it was it was declined by Think TV because it it uh, you know whether it dramatized everything or um, it, it it caused the you know a, a male being in a power position over like there's there's so many different things that are already being looked at when we do this. I know uh, I think it's Poker Stars for example has a stuntman as one of their um, ambassadors and and I'm I'm pretty sure i don't know for sure but they changed their advertising not to show him being a a stuntman and doing really cool things you know the things that might appeal to appeal to youth as it were so these things are already in place um so i think it's it's certainly uh um, something where the guardrails are already there and and to amanda's point um had we created you know this this beautiful piece to to air in ontario spent you know millions of dollars at least hundreds of thousands to make, um, then it would never would have aired. So then you're going to have gun-shy operators. You're likely to see, if, you know, if there's a, a even more restrictions in place, uh, fewer operators even spending the money to advertise on TV because you start to wonder at one point, uh, is it worth it? So then there's a whole other economic question about... Um, you know, all the money that's going into the economy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's a slippery slope. It's an easy one to say, okay, we're, we're taking all these things away. Um, but when you do, there's, there's real, real applications to it. Uh, Amanda makes a great point, Paul, around the, the, the fuzziness uh, in, in, in the AGCO's proposal. And uh, again, it does seem to make sense, like the, the idea of not allowing active athletes to participate in marketing and advertising. I think that's something that a lot of people would be on on board with um i'm just wondering for you as part of that process right now are, are you able to actually talk directly to, to agco or, or does the canadian gaming associations have to go through the process of, of using the agco portal and just submitting your your brief well we will be submitting through the portal like everybody else um you know we have had continued to do i, I talked to the agco uh, and i go regularly um, on, on various uh, issues and, and items of concern as we go forward. Uh, and so, um, you know, when we get into um, this process, and that's why, you know, we were, we've had conversations with them um, for the last couple of months around this topic um, as they were trying to determine what they wanted to do and trying to offer an opportunity to. Um, maybe do a different way doing some other things so we've we, we've gone through those iterations with them but here we are and um and you know they've been uh, in one of the the strengths in building this market and when i you know i've traveled a lot in the last little while promoting the market and talking to uh, groups about it and one of the things that that, that uh, those who um, who have been participating and have gone through the process we understand the the consultative nature of how it was built and how operators have entered the market was one is one of its strengths and so you know from that i think the agco understands that and recognizes that so um you know this is a process now um they've committed to it i know some people who would look at regulators and say when they see draft standards that's pretty much it and it's done and you know pack it up and that's what you're going to get. I don't believe that's the case here. And so I think it's a case of they wanted to um, uh, hear feedback from certain areas and I've encouraged everybody to give it and we'll be there 
with them. One uh, one conversation I had yesterday, Paul, when I was writing about this was I spoke with uh, with uh, Professor Michael Narain from Frog University, and uh, Michael's been quite entrenched in in the gambling industry since uh, you know since we learned two years ago that there was going to be an open market here in Ontario. And the one point he mentioned to me yesterday was the value of having uh, third party research being done on on advertising and. Um, I think just based on our conversation, you're kind of, you're open to whatever, for you, it doesn't really matter where the, where the research comes from. Well, you know, I want, I think there's, there's things to be learned, but I think that if we're designing something for this market, then we need to understand how this market operates um, and what's, what are the features? Um, you know, I've gone through some of the UK white paper and, and particularly this section on advertising standards and, they, you know, there was no major changes to advertising standards inside the recent white paper. Everybody thought there was going to be lots and there was none. Um, partly because one of the things they said is that um, a lot of the actions that have been taken, well, we understand, and there was this research that says, well, maybe minors aren't influenced by celebrities and, and athletes. Um but what we don't know is that by banning them in advertising, does that change that? Does it change their behavior towards gambling uh, when they become of age? Um, so they stopped and said, "We need to do. We need to understand if the if the measures that we've taken in our country to date work." And so th- that's important because the gaming industry is littered with wonderful ideas on various restrictions, policies, and other things that we thought would be a good idea, solved a political problem, took a headline off the front pages, yet no one really knows if they work. Right. And that's something that it's, you know, a consistent call. I've worked with, um, you know, some lots of people in the responsible gaming space over the last almost 20 years in the business um, and understand everybody wants to get to evidence-based decision-making. And I think we've got an opportunity to do that here. So let's take it. Let's set the metrics going forward for how we we're going to determine what policies are going to be put in place for the province. Um, I think that's the right thing. I think everybody will accept it. If the outcome says X, we do X and, and we have to accept that. And I think, but talking anecdotally or using research from countries where there's a very, very different experience, especially with sports betting like the UK. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, it may show the same thing in time, but let's find out for sure, because I think there's, there's different perceptions that, that people have and and bring, and we need to understand uh, what's happening here. And Steve, if I if I may just quickly, I sat on a briefing done by Kundrid early on Tuesday morning on the UK white paper, and it went through the series of recommendations white paper is making, but specifically to advertising, other than now prohibiting putting gaming logos on the front of the Premier League jerseys, that was it. And my colleague was surprised because the industry collectively expected there to be greater restrictions placed on advertising, but the government said they didn't feel it was warranted, you know, making changes to how they advertise on TV or online because they didn't see the evidence. So to back up what Paul was saying, 
is that we should be making changes, adjusting the way we operate when there is evidence that we need to. So when you have such a mature market as the UK saying we didn't see the evidence, it's just it, it just further confuses us here now in Ontario. I want to I want to go around the horn here, and I'll start, Chris, with you. And again, I think you know if if you're the AGCO, and if, if especially if you're the uh, the Conservative government that uh, that leads the province right now, there, I think you do want to exercise some caution here because. Uh, if we look at the uh, if we look at the state of play in Ontario a, a year ago uh, in terms of economic development, I mean we're this was a province, uh, not only a province, but uh, countries around the world coming out of a, a horrible global pandemic that uh, that really did a number on so many different industries and and uh, you look today where we sit in Ontario with forty five operators and have obviously poured a lot of advertising dollars into. Uh, into the the media, media and social media companies across uh, in Ontario and across the rest of the Canada. You look at the jobs that have been created through this industry in Ontario, and you know, on one hand, we shouldn't be surprised. I don't think that there's been a bit of a reset because there was such a, an avalanche of advertising when this market opened last last April. But but on the other hand, it kind of feels like it. You, you have to you know be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you're the government, especially as a, as a whole, and, and their agency is the AGCO um, or department or however you want to classify them, um, you have a walk a walk a fine line. So yes, there's a, a lot of operators in, there's a lot of economic spinoffs, as I mentioned before, but at the same time, it doesn't give set operators carte blanche to, to do whatever they want. So you know, to Paul and, pa Paul and Amanda's point, if there's... Um, proof that the uh, use of, of athletes and, and retired athletes and celebrities is driving, um, you know, a, a bad precedent toward, toward the youth, then that's something that all operators have to be cognizant of and responsible for um, as well. So it's certainly, uh, it's, it's worth the study. I think um, one of the things, that, and Paul alluded to it, is, is uh, sure we're open to the study, but why the rush? You know, so we should do what, what needs to be done and take the steps that need to be done and do this appropriately. Um, yeah, but there's, there is a fine line to walk because the, the reasoning for, for opening up the market and, and having a, a regulated market is, uh, again, as Paul alluded to, the ability to advertise, the ability to conduct your business. Um, and the more restrictions that are placed on businesses, is this the first of many to come, I guess is the question. And then uh, if industry doesn't push back, in these scenarios, do you get to a point where, where more operators say, well, it's not worth playing ball here because not only are we paying our fees, but now there's X, Y, and Z example of, of how our hands are tied behind our back. So um, it, it's a delicate one to walk because we want a, a regulated industry, but it has to be uh, good operating conditions because if not, you drive, you drive companies back to the gray or black market as well. Right. Amanda? Yeah, that's something I wanted to raise too, which is, we need as many tools at our disposal to drive customers to the licensed and regulated operators because we do not have 100% channelization rate in Ontario. 85% in your first year is really good. 
um, considering that the AGCO is trying to clean up entrenched, you know, former gray market operators. But if you don't have a license right now and you're still offering offering your services in Ontario, you're a black market operator. So restricting us when we still have some pretty prominent operators out there without licenses who have zero restrictions and how they can attract customers, it will further damage us. It will make the job harder um, collectively for all of us to promote the legal licensed product with all the consumer protections and the safeguards and the responsible gaming um, safeguards in place um, because we now will be severely limited yet again in how we can attract customers. So I think that that is something that hopefully will get pushed up further in the discussions. Uh, you know, like I know people were like, well, it's going to dry up the advertising industry. Well, okay. Yeah. But you know, the bigger challenge is, you know, we were supposed to be launching this market to, to, to make sure consumer protections were first and foremost. So removing advertising i'm afraid that that's going to start to slip away from us again but i'd be interested to hear what paul says yeah paul well it's uh um we need to you know obviously um the agco acts and you know it has mandate to act in the public interest and when they want to in terms of protecting the market um Operators, um, obviously, I think, you know, everybody wants to comply. Everybody is desired to do that. And you're right. We have now, we're still, you know, have we transitioned? Um, no, because we still have a reasonable black market. And every market in the world's dealing with this. And in in, in there's illegal operators. In the UK, in the white paper, they talked about needing to change laws in the UK to make it easier to get rid of them. I want to have that discussion too. I think that would be very useful um, because, you know, even in conversations with, with other jurisdictions in Canada that don't have a regulated model, the question I was asked is, that, you know, do you want to end the gray market in your marketplace? Because that's, that's ultimately what I think we all want to find is a level playing field and, and you know, how they choose to do it's another question, but can we'd like them to start having those conversations. But it's the same here is that we still, because our regulators don't have a mandate to fight illegal wagering. Right? They, they actually have, they regulate legal gaming. They oversee legal gaming. So it's the legal market that they have jurisdiction over and it's law enforcement and others that, that take care of illegal operators. So ensuring them are those who've earned the privilege of having a license being registered in Ontario, signing up with IGO, um, can operate in the most, you know, in the most robust, sustainable marketplace we can build. Because um, we have a great, highly competitive marketplace right now. I think everybody would like to make sure it stays that way. And, but I also think that, you know, we have looking at it, and that's why this company is great, but it, it's, it, it actually, it involves more than just the registrants of the AGCO. Uh, who, because you can't always solve everything through a standard. And that's one of the things we say, like one couple lines of words isn't going to fix a problem, uh, especially in this, in the advertising space. Um, you need all the stakeholders who are part of the ecosystem to, to agree and buy into what we need to do. And it probably involves people, maybe there's some behavior changes that need to happen 
in in other with the stakeholders in other places. That's why it's it's great to have a dialogue and a discussion. So uh, there's lots to you can add on to this the beyond advertising, but that 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 but is you know directly or indirectly related to advertising, I should say. Um, that are important to have, and so that's why you know we the HCGA in as we've begun the um, we've surveyed members and done some focus groups and uh, sought out other associations, different parts of the world as we've started a player protection responsible gaming strategy. Um, part of this is advertising is part of that discussion in that it's how we as an industry project ourselves. Do we need to um, create uh, codes of conduct for the industry? And that's what the industry is going to decide that we're going to talk through that as we go. But that's why we've created the, the whole forum we're building now is really to begin this process that there's an ongoing dialogue. It isn't just, Oh, we'll decide to talk about it for the next three weeks and then that's it. No, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And, and we want to build the mechanism to do that with the regulator in Ontario and other regulators in Canada as they come to to examine what they should do to end the gray market in their jurisdictions. Hey, we're, we're going to get Jim Lawson from Woodbine Entertainment here in a second, but Paul, just, just one more question for you. And I, again, I know that uh, the Doug Ford government, they've got an awful lot on their plate these days and, and uh, you know, with regards to, to, to health care and, and education and economic development and uh, in other areas but um it does seem a little bit telling that uh, at least publicly that we're not seeing anything any pushback from from doug downey and the attorney general's office and the minister of finance's office that there seems to have been no outcry um from the government about the advertising issue and and again you would think that's something that we would you know we would see that whether it's uh, what what happens in queen's park every day during question period or or on the social media channels of uh, of mps from different parties have, have you heard anything directly from from the uh from the provincial government no there was never a discussion i've had with with ministers and Government run advertising is that they were they understood it was it was part of the, having a regulated marketplace um, that we needed to that advertising was part. It's yeah, it's new, it's different, particularly sports betting uh, advertising because um, we've had gaming advertising for decades. So I mean, part of that's not new. Um, so i think that that's there they understood that it was you know it's obviously new to the market and understood it was part of the bringing people into a, a regulated environment and one of the benefits they get so the ministers have been very supportive to this point paul burns is the president and chief executive officer of the canadian gaming association um paul as always uh, thank you for uh, for joining us here and uh, certainly look forward to uh, to seeing you in person and, and catching up at the sbc summit north america next week Thanks, Steve. We'll talk soon. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. Osler's gaming practice group has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving legal landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in gaming has been built over years of service to stakeholders in the industry, including financial institutions, gaming operators, and provincial gaming authorities. Visit osler.com forward slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com slash gaming. Now back to the show. 
We welcome Jim Lawson, the Chief Executive Officer of Woodbine Entertainment. Uh, Jim, good afternoon. Thanks very much for your uh, for your patience. Uh, great to great to have you back on the show. Yeah, listen, thank you, Steve, for having me on. It, it's uh, certainly we're we're all dealing with a lot of issues in a, in a new frontier here, and and they continue on a year later. And as for us at Woodbine Entertainment, uh, even though we've been in the background for a year, we've been uh, we've been working hard at uh, even the the lead up to the sports betting legislation on on letting this or allowing this to work for horse racing. So uh, that's that's I guess where we're here today to give you that update. Hey Jim, I want to talk to you about that in a few minutes. I, I know it's an exciting week at Woodbine with with the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, and I know that uh, the Woodbine's got some big plans around that. But I'd like to start, uh, if you don't mind, with the news that came out uh, about a month ago. Now I think on April 11th, the announcement from Woodbine that that you were stepping down uh, as CEO of Woodbine Entertainment, and and uh, I just like to start by asking what what went into that decision, and have you? Uh, I think at the time when the release went out, there hadn't been a date set for your departure, and I, I just wonder if that's any more clear now. Yeah, I I, I thought you were going to ask me if I changed my mind. <laughs> I could quickly <laughs> say, could quickly say no. Uh, what went into that thinking was I've you know I've I've had a career where I feel like I've been on a treadmill for. 35 years. I, I started my career at, at Davies Warden Beck. Those are in the legal community will understand 15 years at Davies Warden Beck as a lawyer is about 30 years at, at many other law firms with all due respect to Osler Hoskins, who sponsors your show. But I I, um, I just feel like, you know, I, I've, I've been on this treadmill for a long time and I wanted to slow down. We have a couple of couple of grandchildren now and I'm turning 65 in in August and it was I've been planning this for uh, a year year and a half I didn't want to say too early obviously for transitional reasons that that that's what I was targeting but uh, certainly our board's known about it for a year and a half and we've had lots of time to plan and plan for the transition so we're in good shape I'm excited about it it will be this fall and uh, I've probably got too much going on uh, both from uh, real estate and sports betting standpoint to completely step away from Woodbine uh, but uh, so I will be involved, but I certainly will will not be front and center the way I have been for for many, many years. Uh, let's talk about that sports betting piece, Jim. And, and again, you and Michael Copeland, myself, we we probably have had several conversations over two years now about where Woodbine was going to fit uh, fit in the sports betting space in Ontario. When, and we know when BC218 was passed in the summer of 2021, the, the Canadian horse racing industry got, got an exemption to, to protect uh, protect the industry. We've had conversations about Woodbine wanting to, to do partnerships with sports books and wanted to expand its presence in the sports betting industry. Can you just talk a little bit, Jim, about where we are at this point? And, and when you mention about that your work isn't done in the sports betting space, what uh, what that means? Sure. Well, I, I think the premise for for uh, and you, and you addressed it quickly. The the premise is is we lobbied hard uh, to keep the horse racing out of the enabling uh, sports betting legislation. In fact, you know, work closely uh, at, at the stage where the private members' bill looked like it was going forward, and and we met with the justice committee. I met with a number of them individually and had them understand that. Uh, 
that that sports betting enabling legislation was going to kill horse racing in, in, in all the jobs in this country. Um, and so that at this stage, I mean, what, what the criminal code legislation says doesn't mean the sports betting operators can't have it on their menu uh, to offer horse racing content. And as you, you guys well know that a lot of the history of many of the sports betting operators is in fact in horse racing, because that's where it all started. So we've got any number of sports betting operators, including the OLG, who are extremely interested in being able to order, uh, offer horse racing content. And of course, we run horse racing at times uh, Thursday afternoons, Friday afternoons, when uh, they're looking for for sports betting content. So there's a real need for it uh, and demand for it from the operators, from the consumer. It's good for the government. And, uh, you know, the initial hurdle was, well, we're really not, the sports betting operators aren't supposed to do it. And, and going back over a year, we've said, well, no, it's not that they can't do it. It's that if they do it, it has to be pari-mutual. So we've been working on technology for the better part of a year, integrating our pari-mutual system and tote system with the sports betting operating systems. We're at the stage now working with the federal regulator, the Canadian Pari-Mutual Association, who have been great. Uh, working through the final kinks, we're moving towards live testing within the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've also been working with the, the same parties that you guys have been talking about, the AGCO and iGaming and and uh, the Ministry of the Attorney General in Ontario. And uh, I think we're going to get there. There's positive momentum. The government uh, understands that uh, the, the horse racing content is is needed. It's going to help tax revenues. And, uh, and as long as we comply with, with the criminal code, which means it has to be parimutuel, and from a regulatory standpoint, it has to be separate, it has to be traceable, it has to be auditable, and, uh, and we're going to pass all those hurdles, and we have passed all those hurdles. So we're very optimistic that in the next couple of months, you'll be able to get that horse racing content, not, of course, for the Derby this weekend, but we're hoping for the, the King's Plate in the third week of August that you'll be able to use your sports betting apps and have uh, be able to find horse racing content. It will be par mutual. A whole other topic, if, if, if we want to segue into it later, is on, on fixed odds wagering on horse racing. But uh, we're very happy with, with where the progress we've made with the CPMA and the provincial government at this, at this stage. Yeah, hey Jim, just just on that uh, for you know for folks who maybe aren't savvy when it comes to betting on horse racing, can you maybe just quickly explain the difference between parimutuel and fixed odds? Sure. I mean, the, in parimutuel wagering, you're you're effectively betting against each other. So if if uh, if if you were and I were betting on the hockey game tonight, uh, and you put ten dollars in and I put one dollar in, there'd be eleven dollars in the pool, and and you'd win most of it. But you're for your ten dollar risk, you're your odds would be low uh, because you've got all the money in the pool. So it's it's a mutual pool of, that everyone that bets into it, and that's that's how the odds are set. Now, it's for the young sports better out there. They don't really like that coming to the racetrack and getting excited that they're they've got a hot tip on a horse that's eight to one, and then everyone else knows about the hot tip, and their odds end up being two to one, and so because everyone's piling in on that horse that, that there's the hot tip on. And so that is, 
that is the, the effectively how party mutual wagering works. You're wagering into a pool that everyone else is wagering into, and the odds are set based on how much money is bet on the respective participants. Whereas the fixed odds wagering, uh, using my example of the, the young person coming to the racetrack expecting eight to one, well, that would be fixed odds. And uh, if and that's the way it works in many jurisdictions, including Europe, that uh, the payoff, if you're expecting eight to one, you get eight to one and you sign up for that and the winning payoff would be $18 and you wouldn't have the uh, concern that, uh, and, and, and that's very popular with the young sports bettors. So I think ultimately uh, in this province, in this country, we will see fixed odds wagering, uh, mostly market driven and demand. But right now it was a big hurdle just for us to keep horse racing out of the sports betting legislation. And the way to do it was to keep it uh, par and mutual at this time. But that uh, I hope is a, a decent explanation, Steve. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, Jim. And yeah, just uh, I traded emails with Tristan Wooten at uh, Fitzderis uh, on Tuesday. And obviously Fitzderis, uh, you know, their bread and butter with, with their betting business in the UK is, is horse racing. And so they're they're excited to see those changes come to the Ontario market so they can bring their horse, uh, their horse racing product here. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Jim, is, is and again, this is something that we've, you and, and Michael Copeland, I've discussed. And it's interesting timing. You know, it was a year ago uh, uh, with the SBC Summit in North America and Mark Silver and I going out to the Meadowlands racetrack on the night that uh, Paul Burns was being in inducted into the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. And Mark and I had a chance to walk through the FanDuel Sportsbook on site at the racetrack. And I know we've had that conversation about what, uh, you know, the, the, I think, I think, Having a, a retail sports book on site at Woodbine with with a sports book operating partner would be something I think that might be attractive and, and help increase your uh, your audience and attendance at the racetrack. Is there anything new to report on that front, uh, Jim? Yeah, I, I would say that the, the the report on that is we're making great progress. And uh, again, the 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 government has been helpful. They appreciate that. Uh, uh, as, as, as a racetrack operator and a business that we've been in for hundred hundred years that, uh, that we should have retail sports betting at a racetrack that we're involved in that also promotes the sport of horse racing. So we've been working closely with, with the OLG on that. And, and I expect that, uh, expect or I'm certainly hopeful that we will have at, as a minimum, a retail sports book at at Woodbine and it, and it looks and all signs are pointing that uh, we'll be able to get that done and it's very it's very consistent with the conversation we just had in in terms of you if you're going to have a retail sports book you also have to you, you don't want it all cash you want to be able to go on those sports betting apps if you're sitting at Woodbine and you've come out to the casino at Woodbine and want to wander into this a new retail sports bar that's trackside You'll want to be able to do it not just not just through uh, HPI Bet, which is which is our app, but with the retail sports betting apps or with the sports betting apps that you're used to using. So they do go hand in hand. Uh, what we have is some beautiful space that we've designated for a retail sports book overlooking the track adjacent to the casino, and and I think we're going to get there. Hey Jim, before we let you go, I, I do want to ask you about Saturday at Woodbine, and obviously, you know, the Kentucky Derby is one of the one of the greatest sporting sporting events on the planet. The the fastest two minutes in in sport, and certainly uh, 
it's a it's an event that I uh, that I make sure I'm, I'm around my television set on Saturday night to watch uh, at this time of year. Uh, just love to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about Woodbine's plans for for Saturday for your Derby Day party. Well, we we started it uh, a few years ago, and of course the pandemic jumped in. But we have a, a Kentucky Derby viewing party. It's going to be on our Champions uh, Lounge on Level Three, overlooking the track. Uh, supposed to be great weather on on Saturday, both in Kentucky and in Toronto, uh, and. Uh, it's going to be uh, tickets are sold. There's going to be great Southern food, a complimentary mint julep and a commemorative cup with with admission. Uh, it's it's going to be a fashion show. It'll be we're calling it dress to impress. And uh, it'll be a big a big day here Saturday afternoon at Woodbine. It starts at 2 p.m. The Derby goes off at seven. Uh, and I, I've been to them before here and it's going to be a lot of fun and people dressed up and it really is a good party and, and would encourage people to come out to the Kentucky Derby party on Saturday afternoon at Woodbine. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. Jim Lawson is the Chief Executive Officer of Woodbine Entertainment. Jim, always uh, great to have you have you join us and um, I'm certainly uh, certainly hope that you'll come back and speak with us again before you... Yep. Uh, you do you do uh, turn out turn over the keys and the laptop to Woodbine <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever you, uh, that happens. Love being on. Thank you for having me on. And hopefully, when we talk again, uh, we'll have we'll have uh, gone inside the red zone and maybe across the goal line on a couple of those things when we talk again. Uh, here, here's hoping for sunny skies and warm weather on Saturday, Jim. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Um, just, uh, Chris Abbott, I just wondered, did you want to weigh in on, on the conversation with Jim and, and just, uh, you know, where, where horse racing might fit in for Botano? And is that, is that something that, uh, your bosses at K's and gaming have, or have they been waiting and anticipating having, uh, horse racing for your customers to bet on? Yeah, it's an important, uh, aspect for most sports bettors anywhere in the world. So, um, we'll certainly be interested in any any solutions that we can have to to integrate. I know back in my time at Coolbet, um, and I think this was prior to regulating uh, the market in Ontario, that we had uh, had some discussions with the with the you know local folks who had uh, had the rights for for different tracks, and it was more uh, as Jim mentioned a, a technical issue um, when it came to Paramutual that a lot of the uh, trading rooms aren't necessarily set up to handle. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that there's progression and, and it will be something for us anyway that will be of interest. I know in our other markets globally, it's um, it's certainly a hot uh, hot item for us. Paul Burns, just off the, the chat that Jim and I had about the, the retail sports book issue. And again, it seems to me that Ontario's still behind. This is something that Amanda and, and uh, you and and others in the industry talked about when this industry opened. And of course, it was, I think, last October when OLG finally gave the, the green light to have uh, bricks and mortar sports books that select casinos around the province. Is that is that still a bit of a sticking point for you that, that we we don't have uh, we don't have more of those retail sports books across the province? Uh, I think it's. Um... It'd be nice to have the more of the casinos up and running, but they, again, they're now working at their own pace. I mean, I think the challenge for uh, Woodman Entertainment and Jim has been they also have a, a tenant building a billion dollar casino facility out there who would like to have sports betting too. Um, so I think that there's uh, the agreement between the two parties need to be 
figured out and up to them to decide what that's going to look like when the time comes and is there one facility as you know as jim mentioned sounds like it's near the track and casino entrance which would be perfect if both facilities can take advantage of it um but that's part of the the arrangements they have is having uh, great Canadian entertainment um in their their agreement with them being located at the track and uh, and investing nearly a billion dollars in their building so it's um uh that's i think been the hype the challenging point there and i know that it's um i think the retail is is important to have in that experience and, and making sure because for casinos it's it's to drive business in it's not necessarily how much money they'll make off of uh, a given sports book, but, you know, an amenity for the customers that come there and creating events and uh, reasons for people to, to come and enjoy sports in a, in a you know, live retail sports book. I think that, you know, it's, it's been difficult because I think there was uh, the time it took for the meeting to get going um, and the use of, uh, I think, some of the casinos have been interested in wanting to use brands as partners and not necessarily have to take on the risk and operational costs to run their own. So yeah, I think there's, there's still some challenges to where what's best for the, you know, for the casino operator, this idea to offer this. Um, but really what they're, it's an amenity that helps drive business for people to play slot machines and table games. And uh, how do you best situate that? And I think there's still ongoing discussions. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that uh, I think it'll be part of the evolution of the business of sports betting and whether there's uh, there was a consultation, very sort of broad looking for input in the AGCO was last year about, um, you know, putting in facilities and sports stadiums and, and other types of venues. Uh, and I think it just helps inform uh, what could be next. Um, because I think that I think that retail part is an important piece that's that still hasn't been really fulfilled yet. Amanda Bird, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, just you know, we're sort of watching the casinos. You saw what happened with the ransomware attack with um, with Gateway, and just again, you know, they're had a good sort of first year coming out of COVID, but that's not to say that they still don't need tools. You know, we are an industry that is continuously evolving and always changing. And there's a lot of new technology that's coming in and we're trying to attract younger demographics of customers. And so having those retail opportunities, I think are really important to them. So yeah, here's hoping that as we, uh, get through the spring and summer a few more of them are able to uh come into come into reality uh we're getting close to the top of the hour so i want to bring uh mark silver the ceo of homestand sports uh into the show and um homestand sports made some news of its own this morning with uh with a san diego based company called tally site uh, announced a partnership this morning and uh we're going to try to get Matt Peterson, the CEO of TallySite, get him on the program next week when we go live from the SBC Summit in, in Secaucus. But, Mark, maybe you can just walk the audience through the, the the nuts and bolts of this partnership and why you've done this deal with TallySite. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Well, first of all, you know, Matt and Mashid from TallySite, these are first-class gentlemen. And, you know, Steve and I and the rest of the team have come to know them over the last couple of years. And so the opportunity to partner with them is something we're, we're really proud of because we, we've been following their progression as, as they've been following ours. And 
things just really aligned over the last couple months as, as our strategy you know shifted to more of a, a broad-based sports programming instead of uh, just focused specifically on the sports betting content. And so as that strategy of ours has unfolded, specifically in 2023, we came to realize that the owned and operated digital property that we have at homestandsports.com just really wasn't serving the audience well enough. And so partnering with TallySite gives us the opportunity to really put some horsepower and oomph behind what we're doing with our owned and operated digital. So we have, you know, their betting tools, their odds, their, their tools for our, for our talent to be able to share their picks. And then in particular, and this is not just localized to Canada, but in the United States as well, you know, TallySite has built up a, a licensed affiliate business in the United States, and they would support us with affiliate relationships into Canada as well. So that technology that, that powers, um, an owned and operated digital affiliate strategy for our business is something that really takes off because of TallySite. I know, Mark, the other thing that impressed uh, not only you, but myself and, and Mike D and the other partners, just given our backgrounds in, in sports media and the business of sports over the years, is just uh, the client list that TallySite's put together since it's opened its business uh, three years ago. You know, companies like the New York Times and The Athletic and Fox Media and Gannett Media, which is uh, you know the owners of uh, of USA Today. So this this is a company that's picked up uh, or, or earned a fair bit of cachet in a relatively short period of time. Steve, being able to be in the same sentences as brands like that, it's it's incredibly important to us, and that's why we're we're, we're so thrilled to be able to you know not just utilize their tools. There there are a number of websites, including the ones you mentioned, that utilize their tools. But what we really see with TallySite is we're going to be developing product together. And I think in the Canadian market in particular, as you've seen what's played out in the landscape, there's certainly no shortage of affiliates, but the affiliates have, from our point of view have really been focused on just the hardcore betting market and they've not been focused on mainstream sports. So we think with Homestand being a mainstream sports property, we're going to be able to differentiate ourselves from the other affiliates that are in the market because we do have all that content, you know, every day whether that's through social or through our distributed syndication network or through linear broadcast that we're part of as well. We just have a different offering than the other affiliates, specifically up here in Canada, and it's an incredibly exciting time for us. Hey, Mark, I want to uh, just devote the last couple minutes of the show because we still have Paul and Amanda and Chris here as well, but you're you're going to be participating at the SBC Summit North America next week. And uh, as strange as it sounds, you, you and I, I, th- I think we can consider ourselves veterans now of the, uh, of the, the, the gaming conferences. Um, but, you know, we have people listen to this show and who listen to the podcast who are making their first trip to the SBC Summit next week. And just uh, any thoughts or advice that you would give to those people? Yeah, my, my first piece of advice is make sure you spend as much time as you can on the actual show floor and don't completely book your calendar. Give yourself time for those you know, non-scheduled uh, meetings that you're going to have just because you're walking down the aisle. And, um, and I think Amanda's warned us on many a show to wear comfortable shoes, but in my experience at the SBC Summit, when you're wearing those shoes, make sure to kind of shake your legs around and bend your knees a bit because you're going to be standing <laughs> in one spot for a while if uh, history repeats itself. And, and Paul Burns, I think that's such great advice about not not locking yourself into wall to wall means because again, I know just uh, you know running the SBC. One, one thing about the SBC Summit North America, the the Meadowlands Exposition Center, it, it is kind of an intimate setting for for a conference. And um, I, I'm sure I run into you like three or four times over the course of a day at the summit, and, and you're having a conversation on on the floor with somebody and. 
Uh, I just think that's such great advice from Mark not to uh, not to just book meetings all day long while you're there. No, it is good to uh, to leave time because you'll find people in in inevitably booking meetings. Sometimes um, everybody gets um, distracted because of other folks they've run into and so on. It's but it is a good intimate space. Uh, it is a great to spend the day as part of it. There's some really actually excellent content too. Um, uh, throughout the day. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, and, and it's to the credit of the SPC folks, in fact, and they're bringing the same kind of concept to the, to the Canadian Gaming Summit next month, is that everything's in one room. It's all there. You don't need to go anywhere. Um, the session rooms, uh, meeting spaces, um, all the vendors uh, that are there. So it's, it's, it's actually really easy to find people in many cases. Amanda, you're you're not going to be there next week, but just on Paul's comment about the content piece, any any advice for the for the audience in regards to the content? I think, given that you know a lot of these conferences offer rather similar tracks, I think it's really to not always just default to the stuff you know. But I find a lot of value in sitting in on sessions about stuff I'm not as familiar with. Um, and the good news is that I'm going to plug the Canadian Gaming Summit. If you don't have a chance to go to New Jersey next week, then please come to Toronto almost identically this time next month um, because there'll be an excellent, uh, an excellent Canadian-focused uh, uh, conference going on then. Chris, you're getting the last word this week. Well, again, I don't know why you would ever trust me with that. But, uh, yeah, I came into New York yesterday, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing everybody. Um, that's, that's my tip. Come to these things early and have a little fun first if you have the opportunity, especially at G2E or stay later or just be really careful with that one. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be my first time at this particular conference, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, for us as a brand that just came to North America, um, it's a real good opportunity to get to know some of the players on this side of the pond. You know, a lot of the companies we work with are global, um, but a lot of our account reps are, are based in Europe and, and so on. So it's a good chance to, to meet some people face to face that are, are working on this side of the, um, this side of the Atlantic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well as, um, you know, some of the panel discussions and Steve, I, I believe you're going to be on a microphone. So I'll, I'll be in the back of the room and, and creep there and, and put some pressure on you while, uh, while I have the chance. I was counting on you to be the designated heckler, Chris. So I, I look forward, I look forward to your chirping next week. That's it. Uh, great, uh, great show this week. Um, thanks so much as always, Chris Abbott and Amanda Brewer, uh, Paul Burns. Thanks for joining us again. Um, Jim Lawson from Woodbine Entertainment. Great for Jim to, to be with us today. And of course, uh, Mark Silver from Homestand Sports to talk about our partnership with TallySite today. Uh, again, the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. It is not only available just not on Substack, but on Apple and Spotify as well. So you can find the podcast on different uh, in different formats. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the Gaming News Canada newsletter. It's available on Substack as well. Uh, please, everybody, um, it looks like the weather is going to turn, as Jim Lawson mentioned. So enjoy the, uh, the warm weather this weekend. And to everyone in our audience that are going to be in New Jersey next week for the SBC Summit North America, we look forward to seeing you there. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. 
follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest. 